Welcome to Claim the Stage, a podcast for women who want to discover, awaken, and create their voice through the art of public speaking. I'm your host, Angela Lucier, award-winning professional speaker, author, and CEO and founder of The Speaker Sisterhood. Welcome to episode 129. Today is our final installment of our four-part series about Secrets of the Sisterhood, our new book coming out November 29th. Can you believe it? It's almost here, launch day. This is so exciting. I have been thinking about this book for three years, <laughs> and finally they decided this year I wanted to put it together, and I'm just so pumped to bring it to you, and I hope that you will get yourself a copy, and if you have friends family, coworkers, anyone that you think could enjoys reading and could use some inspiration and some really good storytelling, this is a great gift. And hopefully you can fill everyone's stockings with them this year. I have a friend who says she loves to read, but every time she lies down in bed to read, she falls asleep like 30 seconds later. So it takes her two years to read a book. Is that you? <laughs> the good news is these stories are all really short. So you can read one story a night before bed and not fall asleep before the end of it. That's that's really exciting, right? Not not a big commitment. So on today's episode, I'm interviewing Catherine Pecicelli, also known as Kitty, and Carolyn Johnson. And I love these speeches. I'm so excited to share them with you. I think if you've been listening to the series, you've probably noticed there's a theme of all of these women sort of being seekers and looking for something more and wanting to continue growing and learning. And I think that's definitely a common trait in speaker sisterhood and in the women who join. And if this mindset or personality trait resonates with you and you're not a member of Speaker Sisterhood, now is probably a good time to check it out. You might find your peeps here. You know, we're all we're all on this journey together. So on today's episode, you'll hear from Kitty and Carolyn and I'll do some interviews with them as well. So you'll get a chance to hear the story behind the speeches. And if you're interested in buying your own copy of Secrets of the Sisterhood, you can go to speakersisterhood.com slash secrets. And there's a link in the show notes and that will take you to our webpage with all the information about ordering and everything you've ever wanted to know about the book. Again, it comes out November 29th. We'll have 30% off that day with special promo codes and everything that your heart desires around this book. All right. Without further ado, enjoy the interviews. All right. Catherine Petrucelli, also known as Kitty, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to talk with you today and for you to share your awesome speech and just learn more about the story behind the speech. But before we get into that, can you tell us when you joined Speaker Sisterhood and why and what you do professionally? Yes. So I joined the Florence Club in Massachusetts in April of 2017, I guess it was, because it was two years ago. Yeah, over two years ago now. And I was the first member <laughs> to join that new club. Huh. And I joined because I wanted to work out some ideas. I'm a writer and I wanted to have an audience to work, work with some ideas and hear myself in front of a group. And I love speaking, actually. I'm one of those people. <laughs> And what's the title of your speech? It's called A Chair of My Own. 
All right. How about you read it and then we'll chat about it. Okay. I know a pair of women, professional artists, who run an after-school arts program for youth. The first thing they do when a new young artist joins their group is to give them an old chair to paint. Wobbly, splintered things they've salvaged from dumpsters or rescued from defunct diners. The kids can design them any way they like, paint them with signature images, any kinds of colors. They can add materials and make them their own works of art. The gesture is symbolic. The idea is that they now have a place at the table, that they belong in the circle in whatever unique form they take, with whatever they have arrived to contribute. This idea and image have stuck with me. That's probably because what I need to step into my power is to be a valued member of a creative group. I need a clutch of people with whom I share something in common, but who are not necessarily like-minded in any one particular way. I need folks who will celebrate me, as I will them, for what they bring and who they are, all our quirks and traits on display to be loved, making up a whole. As a kid, when I used to dream about the future, I'd picture a circle of friends, laughing, maybe playing a board game. I still carry that simple picture in my heart. And I've had times when I have enjoyed just that. As a high school senior, I ran with a happy pack of friends, each one of us exuberantly living out their role. Later, as a college student, I melded into a solid bunch studying Russian in an intensive summer program that bonded us. These micro-communities brought me daily joy for the time they lasted. They ran their natural course, though, to an end point. I wonder, do such groups always have to be temporary, situationally constructed? These days, I have many joys in my life, my children, my garden, but what I lack is a joyful life. There's a difference. Currently, too much time passes between the joyful feelings and events. Is there such a thing as sustained joy? I need sustained joy, regular face-to-face -face contact with this dream group. The source of my power, a result of membership in this creative group, would come from the ability to be my best self, based in part on what I'll call informed support. Not that generic, you can do it support, but the kind that's tailored to who I am because my fellow group members see me and act as true guides. It could be my home base from which I could approach the larger world with more confidence and an attitude of success. While a family typically provides such a home base, they're easily burdened with emotional baggage or difficult legacies. And so I seek a family I can build myself. My grand desire for belonging led me to fling my life across country and try my hand at a new place, the Pioneer Valley. I lived in Monterey, California for 13 years. Most of that time, I complained about the lack of community and how difficult it was to get together with people to form a group. One friend who lived within walking distance from my house would cat sit for me when I was away. We joked that she was in my house more often when I wasn't there than when I was. A joke is based on truth. Our plans to move developed over several years. What I didn't realize until our exit momentum was too great to apply the brakes was that what I longed for had formed, even as I prepared to leave. I have a charming circle of friends I left behind on the West Coast for whom I am heartsick. My Monterey peeps are not 
a cohesive group on their own, however. Though certainly segments of them overlap, they generally don't get together when I'm not there. By leaving, I inadvertently created what I was looking for. When I visit now, my friends gather as one group. We don't have time to take each other for granted. These are the people I once penciled into my schedule or sent regrets for countless invitations. Now, I revel in their company until the wee hours of the night only to wake up in their guest rooms. Still, I want more from living than looking forward to a couple weeks of the year when I visit the West Coast. Seeing my vision as reality but only for a flash of time is sometimes excruciating. I need a local circle, a regular presence of this kind of support in my life. Can I form a home base when I'm split between two places? Can my power still rise when my energies are divided? These are big questions in a culture that elevates ultra-specialization that does not speak kindly of the Renaissance individual or the person who cannot choose. Writing a speech asking for what I need reminds me of the genie in the bottle ready to grant three wishes. My first wish is for infinite wishes. What I need is to have my infinite needs met. I had to trick myself into entering this space that promises so much. There is danger here for me. I've been burned before, let down when I voiced my needs. But here I am. I made it all the way to the conclusion. I ask this now of the universe. A group, please, that I can slip into. A chair of my own to paint. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> oh, I love that so much. Hmm. Thank you for sharing that. Absolutely. My first question is what made you want to tell that story? Well, this was the speech about asking for what you need. And when I thought hard and I dug deep, if I was being honest, this is what I found. This is what was there. And belonging and finding a home of different kinds are consistent themes for me. I write about them kind of incessantly, even when I think I'm not writing about them. <laughs> Have you seen that theme show up in your work at all? In my professional work? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I think when I teach, I go towards those themes. I pull those themes out of literature or I pick writers for, you know, those kinds of reasons. And certainly in my writing work, you know, I'm, I'm always landing on some sort of question about home or how how we fit in or ideas of inclusion and exclusion. Your club leader, Cecile, told me that you had a sleepover at your house with the members of your club. Yes. <laughs> uh, we like to call it a retreat. Oh, <laughs> I was thinking slumber party, but I guess retreat is a pretty much slumber party was what it was. Yeah. Yeah. And when I read this speech, I thought, oh, that's probably... This is something that's very core for you is creating community and having strong bonds. And so it made sense to me that you would have a, a retreat. <laughs> yeah, I think letting people into your home, your physical home is huge. And this is interesting because I actually have guests from the West Coast in my house right now. So it's a little bit <laughs> ironic that uh, I'm reading this speech and talking about this. But, you know, just having people 
even look at, gosh, what colors you picked on the walls. I, I mean, it, it just opens doors for talking about real things. Like I despise small talk. I can't stand, you know, <laughs> discussing the weather or, you know, all those things that you talk about on the sidelines while your children play sports or you're bustling in and out of somewhere. So uh, yeah, absolutely. The sleepover was super fun. (laughs) Did you have any fears around sharing this speech? And if so, what were they? There is always some fear. For me, it often seems to come right after because I kind of put things out there. And then once they're out there is when I sit back and go, oh gosh, what have I done? You know, (laughs) what did that look mean that so-and-so gave me? And the fear is often generally about people just not getting it, being misunderstood. That comes up a lot for me. But also, especially with this kind of topic, asking for what you need, my second son was born with a heart condition. And we found that out when he was five weeks old and he needed open heart surgery, which he got when he was four months old. And that space between the diagnosis and the surgery was, as you can imagine, unbelievably stressful and worrisome. And we were new to town. We had just moved here. We didn't know people. And so when people would find out, they would say things like, oh, what do you need? What can we do for you? And Sometimes I would break down to that honesty factor and I would say things like, I need somebody to hold my hand at two in the morning. And they would sort of back away and they'd be like, you know, I make a great lasagna. (laughs) (laughs) I'll bring it by. So I'm the lasagna is always in the back of my mind. (laughs) We Mm -hmm. ate a lot of lasagna. So it's the difference between asking for what you really need and asking for what's acceptable. Yeah. And I think that feeling you're talking about, I've been told is called a vulnerability hangover. (laughs) I like it. (laughs) Yeah. And it's a common one among speakers who really say the truth and not what they think other people want them to say. Mm. So that's big. When you think about who's reading this book or sitting in your audience, what do you hope they'll get from the story? I think that I just hope that they reflect more on their own lives. I feel like a more reflective world is a better world. And I think that's often what I'm going for in my speeches is to just have people sit back and look again. Yeah, you have three speeches in the book, right? I do. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. They're all excellent. And I think they all inspire that same intention of sitting back and thinking about your life. And Mm -hmm. I love that about your, your writing style and the stories you chose to share. What has telling your stories done for you? Yeah. I think that it's helped me slowly clarify who I am even, not even just what I have to say. And it's helped with confidence in the sense that, you know, I was never a person that's afraid to get up there, but I think it's, it's tempered the urgency behind it. Like, okay, here's what I think, you know, no matter what you think. And maybe you tried to settle it back into something that's a little bit more, you know, curiosity based where I can, 
present something from a calmer place. And that comes partly just from the regularity of, you know, doing it and showing up even when you don't know what you have to say or that speech isn't coming easily. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The practice piece is so important because it, it helps you to, I think, temper the nervousness and instead get to the core of what's important. And yeah, the message. Just, yeah. Focus on the message and remembering that, oh, I just did this two weeks ago and I didn't die. So there's <laughs> probably a good chance I won't die this time either. <laughs> Playing the ads. Yeah. <laughs> What has membership been like for you? I know a lot of women who reach out to me saying, I want public speaking training. They want to know what they're getting into. And I often tell them, well, it's actually a little, it is public speaking training, but there's a lot more to it. So do you want to share anything about what your experience has been like? Yeah. When I was thinking about this interview, I I was thinking about my membership as this kind of unfurling that's the image that I get in my mind, the metaphor, because when I first went to the meetings, you know, we, we are trained so well, you know, not to take up too much space, you know, not to take up too much time. And this is a lifetime of these kinds of lessons of, you know, nobody wants to hear it. And I sat in that group and I would give these really clipped answers to questions as we're going around the circle and things. And slowly I started to realize, oh, actually, story is valued here. You know, people want more details. Like, they're actually asking me to expand. And so there was this kind of slow unfurling where I edited myself less and just kind of told people what I was holding in my heart. And that was amazing. And I agree with you. I've I know I've been in different networking groups or business groups in the past, and I've felt like I need to really think about what I'm going to say before I raise my hand, and I need it to be short and sweet and sound mm. smart, and I need to like get the contribution into the group and then let other people take over. And right. yeah, when, when you're in a speaker sisterhood group, it's not really like that. It's more like no, share what you think. And it doesn't have to be edited and it doesn't have to be perfect. It can just be whatever you feel like saying at that moment and you won't be judged for it. (laughs) Yeah. I think that the groups somehow strike this amazing balance between personal and professional goals. That's been a real plus for me where I feel like, you know, we are all looking out for each other's, you know, professional interests and polish and whatever we're putting out as the feedback we want. But it's very welcoming. And I do feel known there. Excellent. Is there anything else you want to share about your speech or speaking or experience your, uh, your story you shared? I don't think so. I'm I'm kind of interested in the in the fact that you chose this particular speech because it's sort of layered and complicated in my mind, <laughs> even still. So thank you, and yeah, it's great to this is great to talk to you. Yeah, thanks for being on the show. And I think that underlying message of belonging is one that so many can relate to. And even though your story may not be the same as everyone else's, that feeling of wanting to be part of something is is something that we all kind of have on the inside. So I think it's a, an important story to share. Well, thanks a lot. Yeah, thank you.
Carolyn Johnson, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Angela. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk with you today and and hear more about the story behind your speech. But before we jump into your speech, why don't you tell us when you joined Speaker Sisterhood and what club you're a member of and why you decided to join? It's been about a year. Yeah, I joined last October and I'm a member of the Reading, Massachusetts club. And, you know, it's funny because it was really serendipitous how this showed up in my life because I've really been working on what's next for me and, you know, how I want to show up in the world. And this just was the perfect vehicle for me, I think, to do that. And when I heard about it, I just said, oh my gosh, I like I joined up that day. It's like, this is it. I got to do it. So yeah. So that, that was really it. It was just, it just like something clicked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think by the speech that you're about to share, there's a little more context as to why right. this was so important for you at that time. Absolutely. And the title of your speech is what I need now, which I mm-hmm. love. So why don't you read your speech and then we'll talk about it. Okay. All right. Here we go. What I need now. My kids are 13, 15, and 18. When they were younger, I naively thought that by the time they were teenagers, they would need me less. Boy, was I wrong. In many ways, they're more independent now. My oldest daughter drives. They all do their own laundry, mostly. And they help out a little more with cooking and household chores. Emphasis on a little. Mainly, they still need my physical presence as chauffeur and chef. However, I have always been, and will continue as, our family's resident achievements facilitator. If I had a nameplate on my desk, well, if I had a desk, it would read mom slash life coach. My inbox overflows with issues and problems for review. I'm the soft place to fall, and I'm fine with that. But mom guilt hits me hard when I feel I haven't done my job well. Don't get me wrong, I'm not alone. I have an assistant named Ken. He's a good listener and problem solver. He's a wonderful husband. However, his extremely stressful, time-consuming job involves a significant amount of travel. When he's home, he handles the more practical aspects of family life. Putting studs in the wall so that we can hang curtain rods solving any computer issues, and helping with math homework. But work draws on his emotional well, and that doesn't leave much for him to dip into when he gets home. So here's a little background. During the 18 years we've had children, my husband and I took on what some might call traditional parenting roles. I stayed home with the kids while he went to work outside the home. In the beginning, we both wanted that arrangement, and it worked for many years. But around the time my youngest entered elementary school, I became restless, anxious, and depressed. And I knew the overwhelm that comes with raising three children wasn't the only cause of my discontent. I needed to figure out what was going on. And the therapist I've seen for the past five years has been incredibly helpful on my journey. We talk about how at times I feel resentment towards my family. Inevitably, those conversations indicate that I'm not asking for what I need. Being the keeper of my family's emotional well-being is a full-time job, and I've been working overtime without pay. 
I work hard, but I'm not a martyr or a helicopter mom. I do things for myself. I exercise. I get manicures and pedicures. I see my therapist. I join groups. When I feel drained, I schedule some me time. Mostly, however, I've been feeding my children's souls and neglecting to feed my own. In other words, I haven't found a way to balance my desire to develop as a person with my role as wife and mother. This leaves me with a pervasive feeling of discontent. I really struggle with this. Even as I wrote this speech, I felt guilty for not being home to take care of our dog, the only family member who heard me practice this speech, by the way. I kept checking the time. It was Sunday, and because my husband would be traveling all week, he needed to get work done before Monday morning. The guilt comes from believing that his work is more important than whatever I need to do for myself, and my challenges with low self-esteem and doubting my abilities contribute to my situation. Sometimes I think I became a full-time mom because it felt more comfortable than working in the professional world. I've done a lot of volunteer work, including a two-year stint as co-chair of our elementary school PTO. But staying home with the kids let me lay low, avoid having to prove myself, impress others, or take risks that could develop my personal growth beyond mothering. Maybe that's all true, but I can't do it anymore. It's not working for me. What do I need to feel happy, satisfied, successful, and complete? I need a meaningful purpose beyond motherhood. What I need now is to redefine my role in my family and in the world at large, take time for self-reflection, feed my soul, and find new ways to define myself. Remember that self-care involves more than exercise and pedicures. Speak this out loud to my family often so they remember that I'm a person beyond my roles as wife and mother. What I need now is to stop feeling like I need to ask for their permission to do any of it. <laughs> thank you. That's so good. Awesome. Do you remember thank when you. you wrote this speech? This was, I believe, the third speech. So I think it was... Gosh, probably last November, you know, like a, a little, a little less than a year ago. Okay. So there. Yeah. I'm interested in how things have changed since you wrote the speech. Well, hmm, let's see. I think I've, I've been putting myself out there more for sure. I've been taking more risks, both within speaker sisterhood and out. Like I never would have done this with you a year ago, <laughs> I would have been way too nervous. So, you know, it's just, it, it, I think in terms of speaker sisterhood specifically, it's, it's really helped me recognize that to use my voice, either it, writing or speaking, you know, I don't have to be a great novelist or a great orator to, to just put myself out there. So I feel like I, you know, it's not really like that tangible thing, but it, it's just sort of an overall shift mm -hmm. in how I've been being in the world, I guess, for lack of a better way to put it. Yeah. Well, when I read the speech and I got to the end where it says you want to speak this out loud to your family often, yeah. I wondered what that's like for you. Is, is that 
like having a family meeting and like telling them this is how I'm going to be running my life from now on, or does it come up in conversation or how do you make sure that they understand what you're working on and your own growth? It's really more, it's a combination of both. I'd say, you know, we do have occasional family meetings and that is a way for me to just say, okay, you know, this is happening and this is great or this is not happening and you guys really need to step up because I need you to do that. And then it also does just come up in, in conversations. And I think I just, I basically just share more with my family, what I'm doing so that in terms of, you know, like speaker sisterhood and things for me so that they know like, Oh, okay. You know, she's not just mom. You know, she, she has all these other things going on just like we do, you know, I'm not like my youngest is, you know, I'm not just her daughter. She's also a gymnast and she's a student. And, you know, so I think they're starting to see me more in that way, just because I'm just sharing more of myself, you know, they all know I'm doing this. And so, and they're all very supportive of it. Has that changed your relationship with them? I think so. Yeah. I mean, I think in some ways, you know, the relationship changes sort of organically anyways, because they're getting older. And I think it's kind of, you know, it's not a coincidence that, you know, they're teenagers now. And so they are starting, teenagers kind of start to see their parents differently than any at that point in life anyways, you know, especially my oldest, I think she's starting to have a better appreciation for, you know, all the things that moms do and, you know, what it, what it took to launch her off to college. Yeah. So it has, I think I'm able to really, we're just able to relate better now, you know, like I'm still their mom, but it's really, I think they really have been able to see me more. Just like I say at the end, like, you know, I'm more than just a wife and mother. I'm, I'm this person who, who wants to, have a bigger impact in the world than just with all of you as much as I love all of you, you know? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> well, I know that one of the most difficult things, especially for new speakers, is figuring out what to talk about when yeah. writing a speech. And so I'm curious, what made you want to tell this story? Well, I think, like I said, in the before I read the speech, how it just seemed speaker sisterhood showed up at at just the right time for me. I think this speech was, was kind of the same thing. Like I, there was really nothing else for me to write about. (laughs) It just like, this is what's going on with me. And I really was thinking like, what, what do I need now? What do I need to stop? I've been feeling stuck and what do I need to stop feeling stuck? So, you know, just the process of thinking about that and writing it down and then speaking it out loud to the group was, was the right thing to do was just what I needed to do. Yeah. And I should mention that the third speech exercise is called power and it's about talking about what you need and desire. So it makes sense that this is the direction you would go in. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. the That's the topic was just, yeah, was just spot on. So, and did you have any fears around sharing it? Yes, I did. (laughs) I had three main fears. The the first one was 
I was afraid it would come off as a little like self-indulgent and like I was complaining. In fact, I even called our our group leader and, and had her read it ahead of time. And I was like, does that sound like I'm just complaining? You know, like, oh, poor me. I, you know, I, I'm not working. I, I don't, I didn't have to work and raise children at the same time. And I can afford pedicures and a therapist. You know, what do I have to complain about? And I didn't want it to seem like I was ungrateful for the opportunity to stay home with my children. But, you know, there were lots of reasons that, that we did that. And it, you know, essentially we calculated the daily benefits of my staying home outweighed the monetary benefits of me having a job. And like we had no family living close by to help. And my husband traveled a lot. So, you know, I, but I didn't include all of that in the speech because that really wasn't what the speech, I mean, I could write a whole nother speech about that, you know, about that whole situation. This was really about, you know, where I found myself now and not so much like the circumstances around it, just this is, this is where I'm at. So, you know, I don't know if some people will read it and be like, you know, really? I don't think so. That doesn't doesn't come through in the speech. What comes through is a woman who's been devoted to her family and has Uh put her own personal journey on the back burner and is now making that more of a priority. That's, I think, and that's not self-indulgent. That's about, you know, putting yourself first because when you put yourself first, you can then show up for others, right? Right. But if if you're not doing that, it's really hard to be there because you're depleted and you're not really making yourself a priority. So I don't, I don't know that readers will, will look at it that way. I can't yeah. say for and sure. I, and I think that's, that's like one of the things I'm working on, you know, in speaker sisterhood is sort of finding my voice and being like, you know what, this, this is me, this is who I am. And, you know, sort of let go of those feelings, like I'm going to be judged negatively or anything like that. So, but this was a, a you know, I'm, I'm not going to lie. That was a fear of mine. So I'm still working on that. (laughs) Yeah. I love that you're willing to put it out there. And I think you're such a good role model and leader for other women who are in a similar position and maybe feeling that same way. So just know that it's, it's a real act of leadership to do something like this. Oh, thank you. I guess my other fear that I just want to say briefly, and then you actually just touched on something else is like, I was, I, you know, believe it or not, I even despite all I just said about my sharing more with my kids, I haven't read this to them yet. (laughs) I was wondering. (laughs) No, I was afraid and I'm still sort of working out, like I don't want them to react negatively to it. You know, the part that I say that I feel, sometimes I feel resentment Mm -hmm. because it's really not about them. It's all about me and not asking for what I need. And, you know, I, I don't, I guess I just haven't read it yet because I, I don't want them to feel like, you know, they're doing something wrong or that I have any regrets because that's not the case. And I think, you know, as I'm talking to you here, I just, I need to give them more credit. Like, I don't think they're really going to think that, but it's just, I haven't gotten to that point yet. And I I think I'm just going to have them listen to this podcast. So there you go. I was just going to say, if you explain to them what you just explained to me, I think it will make sense. But yeah, just have them listen to the podcast. Yeah, yeah. Problem solved. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) What has telling your stories done for you in in your journey? So 
Well, for one thing, I never really thought of myself as a writer or a speaker. So like I said earlier, you know, it, it has helped me sort of come into my own and realize, you know, that I'm good enough, you know, I'm enough. I don't have to, you know, speak like a great order or write like a great novelist to put myself out in the world in this way that, you know, sharing stories is, is valuable. So I think it's also, it's really helped me to process my feelings and experiences and, you know, writing them down. The act of that really helps me process and it, and speaking them out loud has helped me get those conversations that are always stay in my head out loud to people, actually, actually Mm -hmm. living human, you know, breathing people. Mm -hmm. So I've been gaining confidence in that way. Like, I can't tell you how many conversations I have in my head. And then I don't actually like say, you know, say them out loud. So this has been a really great way, you know, telling my stories has been a great way for me to do that. And I think also just it's a great way for me to get outside of my comfort zone in, you know, in a safe environment. I'd like to work more on speaking off the cuff, you know, and not reading a speech word for word, which is a huge challenge for me, kind of speaking off the cuff, because like I said, I have all these conversations in my head and then somehow the words don't get from my head out of my mouth as well as I'd like them to. (laughs) (laughs) So that's what I'm hoping to spend the next year working on. Great. Uh, That sounds like a good goal. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to add? You know, I think that's good. Yeah. I mean, I can't think of anything else. I think we we covered it all. I just really hope that, you know, some readers can connect to my story. And I, I hope that it kind of challenges the notion that, you know, moms, stay-at-home moms have to be a hundred percent fulfilled being a stay-at-home mom because that that's not for everyone and it doesn't make you a bad mom and no matter where you are in your motherhood journey whether you're at the beginning or you know whether your kids are older you know we're, we're it's okay for us to you know work on other parts of ourselves and in fact I think I've really determined at least for me that I need to do that in order to be a better mom so yeah, and I think you saying that means you're going to have some fans around the world who are going to read your story and say, "I want to be like her." So okay. just, just know that you're <laughs> you're doing great work. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. Thanks so much for coming on the show. My pleasure. I hope you enjoyed today's episode with Kitty and Carolyn. I know I did. This does it for our four-part installment series. We're going to be getting back to regular episodes next time. And in the meantime, as I said, our book, Secrets of the Sisterhood, comes out on Friday, November 29th. And you can get 30% off that day with using promo code LAUNCH30. And you can get as many copies as you want. So if you have a list of people you think might want it, get them while you can at a discounted rate. All right, that does it for me this week, you guys. As always, stop waiting, start creating. I'll see you next time.